Play on Tape podcast, episode number 19. Back after a slightly lengthy delay while we sort of shuffled on some things, but here we are, post-packs and with some new faces, well, new face. So joining me tonight is one of the new hosts, Mr. Tony Cruz. Hi, how are you going out there? Um, coming along to help out and join the podcast. Yeah, so no, it's good to have Tony along, as I'm sure most of you remember his... Uh, Stunning MSX Masterclass back in, I think it was episode three or four? Yeah, back episode three was episode three. So, uh, I know, yeah, so it's good to, good to have sort of a fellow Tasmanian vintage computer enthusiast to, to join in on the fun. And, um, of course, you know, everybody needs to have more MSX love in their life. Well, yeah, I think it's uh, probably fair to say we've uh, been a little bit uh, Commodore 64 friendly in, in recent times. So it's, it's good to have a sort of mix of... Yeah, someone that can appreciate the finer things in life that our, our Japanese friends came up with. Yeah, and um, uh, I, of course, uh, like Commodore 64 as well, as well as several of the other 8-bit computers, because I do have a couple of them. Only, only a couple? I'm just looking, sitting here, because we're, we're actually recording from Tony's place. So we've had a, a few technical hitches the last, last few weeks trying to get this organised, so... Um, yeah, it sort of decided to do something a bit different. Seeing here locally, surrounded by a stunning assortment of MSXs and Dick Smith System 80s and Atari STs, just for you, Alex, and a whole lot of other stuff. So it's sort of good to, yeah, get get the, the vintage vibe going. We, um, we thought it would add to the atmosphere. So if we're talking about retro in a retro environment. It works, and it works so well. So um, yeah. So look up before you. So I mean, yeah, because obviously with and I've just come back from PAX, which I know we said I recorded a couple of weeks ago, but again, technical difficulties. Um, but yeah, so I thought it was totally um, oh yeah, I suppose I might uh, yeah, go, on, go on a little bit about some of the, the stuff from PAX, because it was a pretty pretty good three days to be had with uh, being amongst the classic gaming era and helping out the uh, the guys from Oz Retro Gamer, Weird and Retro, and Retro Domination. So it was, uh, it was a good bit of fun, and I think you saw some of the, the pictures the guys had up. Yeah, and uh, I'm looking forward to hearing about it. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to make it over the thin stretch of water that separates us from those mainlanders. Yeah. Um, and uh, I haven't actually... I went to the inaugural packs and uh, did a presentation um, and uh, haven't been able to go back since. So I'll be looking forward to listening to what you have to say. Yeah, well, well fingers crossed next year. There's always, always another next year. So, um... But yeah, look, the I think the big the big difference this year, like from the first packs you would have gone to, and classic gaming was a very very small little part of the the big top that was the um, board the tabletop gaming area. You probably remember, like you know, there were a couple of tables with a whole raft of systems out. But yeah, it was really only um, and uh, not that everybody would have seen my game room. It wasn't actually that much bigger than my my current game room. There were tables spread around the edges and some down the middle. Yeah. By the pictures, it certainly looks like it's grown. Yeah. And uh, one key thing from uh, personal passion interest of myself was there was actually there were seven pinball machines there, but six of them were the same pinball machine. So it wasn't really a lot of, and that wasn't, you know, the original. Yeah, well, we did actually the the classic gaming area at that point was just was just consoles and computers. You had uh, I was AMD had Metallica. I think they were showing off for the first time and things like that so yeah there, there wasn't a lot of variety but this time around look we had 
and I'll probably get the number wrong, but there was at least seven or eight machines there this year from the new Ghostbusters and Star Trek, as in the Christopher Chris Pine Star Trek, not the really old yep. stuns, um, which is a phenomenal machine, through to some of the sort of favourites like um, Theatre of Magic, Jackbot, um, Lethal Weapon actually made an appearance, which is... It's, yeah, it's a good throwback to before Mel Gibson lost his mind. <laughs> um, but look, no, it was good. But I mean, the yeah, the classic area was you know was bigger and better than ever. We actually had an MSX issue um, with uh, yeah Daz put on one of his favourite Pac-Man clones, which I'll link up somewhere at some point. It's not going to bear repeating what it's called. But needless to say, there was a lot of eyebrows raised with uh, exactly what happens when you die. Um, but probably the biggest thing this year was um, the inclusion of the guys actually had a museum. Oh, excellent. So yeah. we actually had a, we were actually, they actually asked for and got a massive pile of big glass display cabinets. So the idea being, like, if you've ever, ever seen, like, the Game On or been to, like, um, the ACMI's exhibitions they have, like, where they show some of the historical, sort of more historical stuff that doesn't necessarily need to be hands-on. Yeah. So or, you can actually see it in person for once. That's it, that's it. So, and this year, yeah, like for the first one, it set the bar pretty high because we we actually had a whole range of things donated um, for show as well as sort of from some of the guys' personal collections. So, I mean, you know, we had a lot of the console stuff, Weird and Retro, and guys from RD had um, some Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat stuff. I know there was quite a lot of... Um, wet mouths around some of the uh, the treasure collection and the Atari Jag stuff um, but the, the from from the vintage side of things there was some absolute crackers um, probably the, the single biggest one that I know that caught my eye was um, they had the original ZX Speccy that um, Deus Ex Machina was written on um, that was actually yeah, one of the gentlemen uh, Mr. Chris Van Grass was kind enough to donate to be displayed so it was Oh yeah, well it's um yeah, so it even came with the orig- with the actual certificate of authenticity to say yep, this was the machine that was created on. So like it was, yeah, it was amazing to sort of see the piece of history like that. Um, some of the other stuff the guys had there, I know they had. He also had a couple of um, BBC micros, one one signed by Jeff Crammond and the other signed by um, none other than um, Mr. Elite himself, whose name is escaping me at the moment because. That's really awkward. Um, yeah, uh, David Bradham. David Bradham. So I'll hand in my uh, vintage computing cred, but I, I will put my hand up and say I've never actually played Elite. So. Uh, oh, I'm a scorn of that. It's oh. one of the games I actually collect across multiple systems, so I have really? a rather large number of them So I think that's something you're saying that one day I need to probably play it. Um, yes, yeah, so we're going to have to sit you down. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, look, but otherwise, outside of that, though, there was a uh, very, very nice uh, C64C that um, Chris had also brought along, which was signed off by what is arguably the best of the, some of the best of the best in the, C- the industry. So, I mean, guys like Ben Daglish was signed on there, Rob Hubbard, and pretty much uh, almost the who's who of some of the top top games on the system, which was, again, got a lot of attention from the, the passers-by when they sort of went, oh, hang on, that's really nice to have really good showpieces like that. Oh, it is. And, um, yeah, and even, and, and the Amiga got some love in. Um, you know, there was also, they also, the guys also had the um, synth that um, Chris Huselbeck wrote um, the Turrican 1 and 2 soundtracks on. 
which um, is again also got quite a bit of uh, people stopping going. Oh wow, hey, that's yeah, that that that's a synth. Why is there a synth here? And then when they sort of reading the, the history because the guys had the stuff on cards to talk about it. Yeah, it was a good sort of, um, oh, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, it makes a talking point and uh, it garners interest and fills and people's passion. Ah, uh, look, it, it really does. It's, um, so, yeah, look, that was, that was actually one of the things that we got a lot of good feedback around was just the people were really excited to see a lot of it. And it was good to see it wasn't just sort of the, 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 the old generation that grew up with it that actually sort of stopped and went, oh, um, yeah, there was a lot of the younger younger guys. So it was, with all in all, good year and... Um, yeah, yeah, next year I think there, there's already talk of how to how to make it bigger and better as far as the, the museum piece goes. Um, probably the, the other biggest talking point, though, I think of the the classic gaming area was some of the tournaments. Um, and again, there was console-wise, yeah, it was there was the usual few there, the Street Fighters and Crash Team Racing. For some reason, I don't understand, but um, but no, that probably the single biggest marathon we had was the River Raid tournament. Yeah, that seems to be getting bigger each year. Well, the guys capped it at 16 this year because they were afraid of, look, we, we know it's popular, so they limited it to 16 sign-ups. And last year, it was over and done with pretty quickly. Yeah, they had some good scores, like 40,000, 50,000 posted. Not a, not a lot of problems. This year, it was a three-hour epic that we had an early benchmark set when uh, Rob Caporetto jumped on and sort of managed to set a, a pretty good 55-odd thousand score. And from that point onwards, it only went up. Um, we had a, someone sort of jump in and we had a 67 followed closely by a sort of another higher 80s or 90s. And then suddenly, next thing you know, we're getting guys that are getting into the hundreds, you know, sort of 100, 110,000. And you, know, you, you probably know yourself as I think you're a bit of a River Raid gun. Um, yeah, once you, um, it, does, it keeps on getting harder. It's not, and the number of levels that it has is, uh, is amazing how many it goes up to. It is. So, and, but watching these guys getting, you know, sort of like bridge 40, 50 and upwards, that it, it was insane. But look, it was definitely a masterclass on how to play River Raid, and you know, with the eventual winner running, you know, running out at close to 100, nearly 160,000. Look, it was, and I mean that was a that was probably a good you know 20, 25, 30 minutes or so. I think if, if memory serves, I don't know. At that point, we we're all we we're all fading a bit because none of us expected to quite go yeah. on that long. But um, credit credit to the enforcers who were you know very diligent, and the guys were great at keeping keeping things running. So um, you know it didn't help uh, poor Alex's nerves. He was a bit uh, looking a bit worried that we'd accidentally set the, the scores to be like the lives to be like seven seven and stuff but nope there were three these these guys were just three lives it is so um but other way we had you know the the cannibalt competition which i don't know if you've ever played cannibalts no i don't think i have it's a so it's an endless runner it was one, probably one of the first sort of of its type where it had a really cool soundtrack but it was just simply the one button run across building tops, jump from yeah, building jump to building, yeah. dodge, dodge, spalling debris, and like, on PC, it was great. Um, the name escapes me, but the, it was ported across to the 64. In fact, there's two versions on the C64. Um, so the guys had, um, I think it was Cannibalt 64, or, um, which was used for the comp, and actually got a lot of interest. A lot of guys were really keen to sort of, or people actually were getting in, having a crack. Um, 
it went for a lot. It went a lot faster because it's it's a very quick game. Yeah, it's easy, very easy to die and uh, mm. very brutal. It is, but I think next year though the guys have got a hint and don't take this as an actual yes, this is going to happen. But there was a lot of interest in um, Super Hexagon on uh, the C64. Yes, well that's a, a, a hard puzzle uh, action think. puzzle match with action type game that really also pushes the Commodore 64 to the max. Yeah, well, it's, it is. It actually is a, again, it's one of those ones where you still can go is that you're doing this on a 30 year old machine and this you have is. You to do a double take that it's not running on a 64 Some of it. Um, and I know I'm looking forward to as well actually because we've got um, the remake or the demake of Wolf Browsers is, is due very soon. There's word is that that's nearly complete. So. It's another one that's sort of, you know, it's a Vita game that looks amazing, but, I mean, PC as well, but, yeah, PC Master Race can stay away. Um, but, yeah, it, and it looks great. The the guys, you know, the guy behind that has done an exceptional job in pushing the 64, so, I'm, yeah, again, it might be another one we might see next year. Mm. It is. So, look, um, but, yeah, that, that was PAX. It was a, a busy three days. There was, uh, you know, a lot to see, a lot to do. And hi to everyone that actually did come over and say hi. It was actually good to, you know, rocking, rocking my new shirt. So it was good to sort of have quite a few people come in and say hi and have a bit of a chat about the podcast. And thanks and thanks for being patient, I said, while we sort of get, got this all together. So, um, yeah, so that was, that was PAX. Um, so what I thought we might do is I might throw over Tony. I know some of you probably have listened to when Tony was on previously, but I thought maybe just for a couple minutes to sort of have a bit of a chat about just you know, so that people get to know you. So who you, you know, who you are, where you, you know, what your, where your interests are, apart from MSX. Um, but yeah, so um, well, uh, I, like my tagline uh, that I describe myself online is a um, computer programmer still living in the 80s. I have been programming computers of various types for more than 30 years now. Um, my very first computer was actually a TI-99-4, the 4A. Oh. Most people don't actually know what a 4A is. I'll put my hand up and say, um, given that the first TI-99 I played with was a few months ago, I have zero knowledge okay. of it. So the TI-99-4 was the first version, which obviously had a much higher component count, that's what I was thinking to make, like a thousand years. Um, I actually bought that second hand of somebody else upgrading to a TI-994A. Okay. That was my first one. And it actually, and this is where the love of the particular video chip that mm -hmm. the original Spectre videos and then the MSX use came from. Yep. Because uh, it had that main uh, graphics chip along with a, uh, another 16-bit processor by the other. So it was, okay. all, it was a 16-bit machine where okay. everybody else was making that bits. Okay. But it was incredibly slow. <laughs> writing um, basic, um, basic things. But anyway, I fell in love with computers. I used to play with TRS 80s and System 80s and 10s and Dixmiths respectively. Um, and I got into the original Spectre videos and I started, not much software came out for them, so I started writing my own games. Um, and in the end, I probably released more games with the original Spectre video than any other publisher did in the world. Um, with probably about 80 titles. I also uh, converted all of those over to the MSX when it came because it was a natural progression to go over mm -hmm. to that system. Okay. Um, 
and um, ran the Australian and MSX uh, Users Groups magazine. Yes, which I remember because I um, actually had a gigantic lot of fortune I picked up off someone a few a couple of years back, and as part of that, there was a ton of Spectra video things and an enormous pile of the, the user magazines, which um, I handed off to another another friend who was meant to be with us tonight, but unfortunately the Pax Pox has struck him down. Struck down today. Mr. JV, JCVD, we uh, look forward to having you next time around, and hope you're better soon. But um, but yeah, so I gave I gave them to him, and I think in turn he actually scanned a bunch and actually returned them to he you. He did because I, I have an online archive of a lot of material for those machines because they're yeah. passionate about. So I released a lot of titles, and then I moved on to both the Amiga and the Atari ST, mm -hmm. um, and uh, then became a PC boy for quite a period of time. Um, but I did start getting back into consoles when both the Mega Drive and the um, Super Nintendo came out. Yep. And also, a little bit later, the Atari Jaguar. Ah, the Jaguar. But again, that's a conversation for a totally another time, and probably podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, yeah. so nowadays I do all boring, you know, business-type um, software development. But in recent years, the heart and call of the retro system has gotten me to revive some of my games that I wrote back in the day and start okay. working on new ones. Oh. So I have um, converted some of my MSX titles across to the ColecoVision and it reads in cartridge. Um, and I've also wrote the for um, Gamester 81 over the mm -hmm. US, he started a new expo called The Game on Expo, yep. and he wanted to celebrate the uh, inaugural event, he wanted to recreate the um, Nintendo World Championships. Um, so in three months I basically wrote three games, crammed them onto a cartridge, and got it over there for the expo, uh, and that was on the original NES, which I'd never programmed before that. Might I say, I'd actually never programmed anything other than the Z80 before that. Yeah. So it was a big leap over to the 6502 side would of things. Be, would be, because so you, never, so you never sort of dabbled in C64 programming in the day? No, I did not. No. Okay, there you go. I mean, I did, back in the day, I did actually have a collection of machines, because all yeah. of the computers um, interesting. I actually got an Atari 8 bit first. Aha. Uh -huh. um, okay. And I always used to hang out in the computer, the Commodore shops. That's how I ended up buying a Commodore over there before I bought an Atari ST. Okay. That was the machine with um, you know, the more capabilities as far as I was concerned as a programmer. Yes, well, yeah, and probably more popularity. Yes. Um, yeah, okay, it's interesting you mentioned that though, because yeah, the, the the similarities between the, the 64 and the NES was actually something that came up with one of the PAX panels I went to, which had um, another fellow Tasmanian, um, Andrew David, who's an ex-beamer and Melbourne Houseman was actually talking about Bad Street Brawls, which was one of his games that he, he did on the NES, which not well received, I think was the, the phrase, but it was actually a port of a Commodore 64 game yeah. um, that he did, so he was sort of had to help pick up and sort of was talking about some of the differences and that with between the two, but there were still some similarities. Yeah, there was probably enough shared similarities in, I suppose, colour information and obviously main processor being similar enough yep. they're not exactly the same so the NES actually has uh, in some ways is cobbled mm -hmm. compared to the Commodore 64 and raw computing power um, but it has uh, secondary chips that, um, and 
physical indicated memory of the new for the graphics to be displayed. Okay. And of course you can super enhance it with all sorts of tricks and traps in the cartridges. You do all the, yeah, the super expensive cartridges as I was saying back in the day that were, yes, very hard to... You, very you only pricey. have to see a, a, a game that was originally released with the NES when it was first released, or yep. the, the Famicom, and then compare it to some of the late releases and you would not believe they were on the same console. Oh, I think comparing, I mean, again, getting off the, the computer track, but yeah, it is that, that thing of comparing, say, uh, Super Mario to Kirby's Adventure, which that was not not one of the last titles, but it was definitely at the tail end, and it looks more like a Super Nintendo game and plays more like it, um, which, mind you, can be you know, can definitely be said of like, some of the, the C64 stuff as well, but yeah, sort of the, the tail end, which, you know, games like Preachers and games like um, Nobby uh, and... Uh, Mayhem in Monsterland and stuff that actually really pushed the 64 a lot harder than anything we got earlier on, where it was a step above basic basic type in programs. And, uh, and you've got to remember that back in the day, everything was going at such a speed, there was not a lot of time dedicated to actually write some of the games for the system. No. And it's only over a longer period of time uh, where people have learned how to build the systems. And also nowadays, as a homebrew developer, I don't have to develop on the hard drive develop on Windows or a Mac PC, I've got a cross-compiler, I've got an emulator, and I even have debuggers with these things to allow you to completely prototype something in a much more powerful, flexible environment. Okay. So do you, is there, I mean, is there much challenge, as someone who's a total and utter programming noob, and I'll be honest when I say it's not something I think I I even want to try and dabble too much in, because no. Um, but I mean, is that, do you find cha- it's a challenge though when you time come to actually use the real hardware that it actually adds problems or is it? Um, well, you definitely, especially with Titan's um, concern, yep. especially for systems like the uh, Commodore and the NES especially, okay. um, timing is everything. Um, and even flipping over to the Atari 8-bits, yep. it has a programmable display processor and timing back down to the um, how lines are being drawn on the screen is absolutely critical. Whereas the MSX machines, yep. the video processor is a completely separate processor to the main processor. So you sort of just hand your stuff over and it does the stuff. You don't have as much control. Right. right so the Atari, um, Atari and the Commodore 64 and even the NES to a limited extent can have some, you can really push that graphics processor up. Oh, that's, that's exciting. You know, maybe we'll have to get a crash course one of these days. And, oh, yeah, that could end badly. Um, oh, cool. So, I mean, so you is there anything like game games wise? Like, what sort of what sort of stuff do you like playing? Like, what are the? Um, well, nowadays, um, I suppose it's been the way for a while. My primary game that I like, I pick up and play. So that are the more arcadey and primarily shooter games. Yeah. Um, I have, shall we say. Just just looking back at the moment, actually, it's sort of the shelves behind me, and yes, there are a lot. And I've noticed, you know, Namco features quite heavily amongst a lot of the uh, the MSX titles and stuff. Very much so, because this is another one thing I like about Japanese systems. Obviously, you've got all those Japanese software companies, and they had to start on some system, and mm. most of them started on the MSX before the Famicom. Yeah. Um, a lot of the games were either brought out for the MSX first, mm-hmm. or brought out at the same time as the Famicom versions. 
So you've got Tato, you've got uh, Namco called Namcot, and they were doing the, that was their home division okay. compared to their arcade division. Ah, that's what it was. Okay. So I always wondered what the the, the T was sort of yeah. just a, used to throw me. It's like, oh, is this a knockoff or? No, cool. And yeah. then of course one of my favourites is Konami. Yeah. The MSX was their main system of choice. All of the mm-hmm. major Konami titles were made for the MSX first. Some of the MSX Konami titles even feature things that are not even in the arcade game, so they've got extra levels. Yeah. Or there is the shooter, the one Konami shooter that's on no other system, which is Space Which we're still, we're still yet to have a crack at at some point. We have to make sure that the uh, the Apple 2 Plus isn't overheating. <laughs> it is behaving, isn't it? Yeah. Oh yes, no, it is. It is Excellent. All right, that might have to be a yes next next time round. But um, okay, oh, nice. Because actually, you mentioned cause like Konami Castlevania, I know was one of the big ones. I think a lot of people probably know most was because it was not just the straight out platformer that the Nest the Nest yeah. the Nest boys uh, know. The, um, the first version of that game actually was mm-hmm. for the Famicom, for the Famicom disc system. Ah, okay. Right. Then the MSX version. Mm-hmm. which was an enhancement upon that game, and that's why it's more complex. And then ah. they wrote a cut-down version of it, yep. released only a month later than the, sort of the different theme, than the MSX version, mm-hmm. and that's the cartridge one. That's everybody more familiar with. And, and, si- and that's the simpler game. Mm-hmm. It's kind of many RPG And you can see the, the MSX being the second game, you can see that development that you saw in the later Castlevania yep. games on the NES. Okay. So they go in that sort of chronological And of course you've got the Metal Gear Solid games started on the MSX. Yep, the original Metal Gear, which again it's another one I've never actually played on an MSX before. I do actually find that the after all these years have one of the games. Okay. Um, I don't know whether I'll ever be able to get one the other one, but it's an extraordinary time. I have noticed that. Is it a Japanese version or is it an English? Only Japanese. So it's up. Practice up on your, your translation and or get a walkthrough. Um, yeah, although there is quite a bit of um, language patching. Uh, yep. Seen okay. Games, like other systems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also, there is another area of games that I actually really like. Uh, although, as a father of four, full time working, I don't get to play them as often as I did. Because mm-hmm. in the PC era, I used to play RPGs, especially um, dungeon crawlers yep. and those sort of games, and you can see, looking on the computer part of it, yes. that there is a lot of dominance with I'm, RPGs and yes. Dungeons and Dragons type games. So, as a side collection to the MSX, I still actually do collect the RPGs, so they're worth getting just for the manuals, the extras that come in. The gold box, just, yeah, the gold box is just for always. Yeah, and I suppose as uh, a piece of resistance of something special in my collection for the Apple II, I have the first four of them. Including the pop. Oh, it's the feel the feelies and those things were the old days, just the old packing stuff like that was And that's that's what I love to collect about the RPGs, the stuff that comes with it. I do. And you don't I mean it's it's that old adage I think of why some some of us still do this. It's it's that whole they don't do that anymore. You don't. You get a very sterile plastic case with a, a DVD in it, and that's it. Or a, and a slip telling you to, you know, don't go and walk every 15 minutes and stuff. You don't get a lot of that sort of. You don't get anything. I mean, in, in the, to a lesser extent, there was also the uh, less RPGs and rather the adventures or murder mystery type that came with those supplements. 
Underground Empire um, newsletter, or you'd have those sort of things. Yeah, which, which honestly, it did sell it all. Yeah, my personal favourite being um, Sacred Armor of Antiriad from Palace that had the comic. Like and I it do was have, just. I do have the Amiga. It's called the Treasures of Infocom, which actually includes every single supplementary material for all of the original games. Just you don't get the boxes. Yeah. I've, I've never seen a boxed version of it, or have now, but um, but yeah, I've never actually. I used to have a copy um, version of it one day, uh, when I was a, you know, much younger, and that was you know where I, I cut my teeth learning how to spell, learning how to you know to get my head around puzzle solving. Because let's be fair, if anyone's tried to play Zork or a, you know pick up pick up and play um, Planetfall or some of those, that they, they were hard. <laughs> SSI ones and stuff were, were always, you know, oh, were always great. Very well. Again, like as I saw, as I said, when it's come up a while back, that I'm terrible at them. I love the concept. They they're fantastic, but yet for some reason I I just can't. I find like I sit there and I struggle at times. But I think it's because the whole, you know, you can only use so many spells. Or you can yes. only do this, and when you're sort of yeah, so when you're used to playing other games where it's like oh, pick up potions here or just use stuff when you want it, and it's it's in, but but again, that's that's the mindset. That's the and I was on. Yeah, you either have a more arcadey experience or you have a exactly. more close to the actual role Exactly. Although you did dabble a bit of that at PAX, and um, yeah, I was looking forward to actually getting my uh, my D and D belts on, uh, hopefully soon. But um, behave a bit more than I did at PAX because I must apologise to our poor game master who I think I was freaking her out a bit with some of the weird suggestions of. Yeah. You were getting into it far too early. Well, I don't know. I, I, th I thought shooting a kobold's head back at, at one of his friends was a good way to terrify him. Uh, how was I to know that you know, I was going to roll a 7 and it was just going to amuse him? Yeah. Uh, so, look, hey. But that's cool. Oh, mate, look, that's... Yeah, it looks good. So, look, it's it's good to have you on board. That's, um... I am, I'm, again, keen to have someone, you know, has got the programming mind and we've got a lot of, again, shared interests as far as, yeah, the, the shooters go, because I, I do like them big fan of them. Not great at some of them, but it's, um, just a shame there we couldn't have uh, Mr. JCVD join us, but um, I'm sure we'll have him on soon when he gets more oh, Damien, Damien, Damien's keen. I think you've some of you probably have already seen him post and sharing some of the stuff that he was lucky enough to meet uh, Mr. Ron Gilbert at um, the PAX party he had for his new game. Which, um, you know, have you seen? So, he's... No. I haven't seen it yet. Okay, no. So he he uh, he, along with one of his other um, alumni from the early LucasArts and Adventuring Day stuff, are actually doing a new game called Thimbleweed Park, which is again a point-and-click adventure, very much in the style, graphical style I of. I have read about this. Uh, I think that'll yeah. be that'll go down very well. Yeah, well, I, I backed the Kickstarter and I had to go to the the extra five dollars to absolve myself of 
the sins of pirating Monkey Island back in the day, and I feel much better for it. But I'm real, yeah, really keen to see how it turns out because it's it's been again, um, Broken Age was a you know more recent example of sort of double fine bringing that back, but it, it really Thimbleweed looks like it's they're really going for the, the manic manic mansion Zach McCracken style stuff. Getting and, that original feel, yeah. Hmm, it'll be good. So it, it's going to be good to see. But um, all right, cool. So um, look, what we might do then is jump across and yeah, have a bit of a chat about our uh, publisher of the month. So this month we asked a question. We decided to go with none other than Thalamus Limited. Now, as some of you probably remember, this was a software studio founded by Newsfield, who were at the time publishers of Zap 64 and Crash. Um, so the, these were the guys who sort of decided to, to form their own in-house publishing studio to make, make, develop games, and um, and then obviously yeah, be able to get a bit of free publicity because they could use their own magazines to plug them. Um, however, you know, and probably rightfully so, that there, there was not a lot in the way of um, actual stinkers amongst the uh, the collection of stuff they bought out. That you know, there was you started out with um, Sanxion, which is you know probably. One it has some, one of the best soundtracks of any shooter that um, I've played on the, at least on the 64. Uh, it, it does. I mean, it's a, yeah, a little different, but it was you know, but the soundtrack we had Rob Hubbard coming on board there was just it's uh, one of you know one of his one of his fantastic works. But um, so these yeah, so these guys they went on to do quite a quite a number of games across the system. So the C64, but yeah, a lot of the other the Amiga got got a few. There was a couple of other things, but um, but yeah, they they they've also better known later on. That, you know, they used to do a lot of um, I don't remember in Zach, they used to have a lot of the developer diaries. So I remember when I think it was Hunter Moon, and please feel free to correct me if I've got it wrong, because it's been a while since I've dug my zaps out. But um, yeah, that was um, I think it was Hunter's Moon that there was actually a developer diary in um in Zap. Yeah, so they actually talked through sort of. The, the background sort of you know, as they as they were build, writing developing that they actually talked it through so that was actually so that was Martin Walker I think from memory was actually the person that was you know was the was the programmer or one of the programmers so he was the one that was doing the you know was actually doing the diaries about the things they were doing and stuff like that so um so yeah so there were a lot of a lot of good games a lot of um, hard games yeah no, they definitely weren't easy ones no, no. No, I mean talking. I mean, look, you know, I mean personally, like games-wise, uh, yeah, game like Delta, Delta is probably or Delta Patrol, which I think you see some people with today, but I've always ever known it as just Delta. Um, but it was it was probably one of my favourites on the system on, that they released. Um, it is really difficult shooter. Never could figure out the power-up system until I got much older and then started playing it again, and it dawned on me how it worked. But yeah, it was. It was great, and obviously, again, another cracking Rob Hubbard soundtrack sort of that went along with it. Music really brought you into the game. Just such good music. It was the. Um, but other than, other than that, for me, look, the other the other couple that I sort of I think back on as some of my favourites, yeah, well, other probably two other favourites was um, Creatures, which while I never owned it, it just it looked brilliant as a platformer, which you know we didn't have. A lot of the arcadey sort of like bright, colourful platformers, it it's definitely stood alone. And obviously, with all the uh, 
the torture, the torture chambers, which I think were a bit comical at the time. Again, it was a, again something unexpected. It's like you're going from running around these platforms, jumping, doing the thing, and then suddenly you've then got to sort this puzzle out to stop these things from being horribly massacred. Yeah, so it was sort of it was platforming a little bit more. It was, yeah, it definitely was, and um, yeah, and probably the last one for me when it was again their original release, as I mentioned, which was Sanxion, which in part is the music. I think it just always gets me just the, the soundtrack of that when he, yeah, so uh, Well, that one, you know, that, that's what drew, um, drew you into the brand to start with. And, mm. you know, the, the cover of the game, which was the cover of the Zap magazine, I that, that burned into my brain, mm. that particular issue. Um, oh, and yes. um, it brings back so many strong memories. Yeah, oh, absolutely. So, so what, about, what about yourself? Like, what are your... Memories um, around that. Well, it, it is. I mean, I used to live. I couldn't own all of the machines back in the day. I didn't yep. have didn't have the money. It was later on when I started collecting all the machines when I had a job and, and doing other mm-hmm. things. But it was those early days of going to um, Commodore 64s down in Hobart were sold by Angus and Robinsons, um, which was bookshop. A bookshop, yes. Uh, it, was, it was like the um, Sega SG. 3,000 were sold by a sewing machine place. Oh, yeah. And so the, the Amstrads were sold by another, a different sewing machine, a business machine place. Actually, I think I've got a couple of games I picked up from the tip shop, one of the tip shops at one point that actually have had, yeah, the sewing something sewing or other. Centre, sewing. Yes. Yep, that's it. Just, it just okay. blows your mind the, the places that were sewing computers back in the day. Okay. Um, and it, they used to have a mezzanine, uh, and you used to go up on top of the mezzanine, and that's where the computer section was. Okay. Um, and... Computer knowledgeable people like myself were allowed to hang around for longer because us being excited and passionate about the games would sell computers. Yep. Even if we couldn't afford to buy one. You're playing, yeah, you're playing the games and showing off what they can do. And putting these ones on, particularly, of course, playing the music, turning up as much as you could without yep. getting cold off from downstairs in the bookshop. <laughs> so. um, but I would live and die by the actual magazines themselves. Yep, which we all did at the time. Because that's used to pull through knew. every page, uh, hover over every ad. Yep. You know, the art in their ads and mm-hmm. their covers stands out. Oh. And, you know, you look at them today and they are very good examples of, um, you know, video game art from back in the day. And then, of course, you have the music. The music stands by itself. Mm-hmm. Regardless of how good the game was, sometimes the music just brought you right into the game. I do. Mm-hmm. So, but was there any, any titles in particular you thought were well, personal my, favourites? One obviously is, is sent in, and I do have fairly strong memories of Hunter's Moon as yep. well. That was probably the one I've played the most okay. out okay. of all of the titles. Yep. Um, uh, I did play Armalite as well, mm-hmm. though. Oh, yes. Yes. Um, I don't believe I played that one as much, though. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not in my old brain telling Trouble remembering. Oh, I forget how to do it. Maybe cheat a little bit. It's right. It's at times, yeah, but some of the ones like that. But no. It's uh, interesting. Actually, interesting you mentioned how. I might have played the original. Because it was on the Amiga. Actually, the ST got some love in here as well. I don't know if it was their first ST game, or, but it was definitely up there. With, but the, I never saw it on the ST. Just again. No, I don't actually remember playing any ST versions of, okay. of Feminist games. And I had 
in my ST story is, is a bit of a, a strange story. I actually bought an Amiga to start with when yeah. they first came out. Unfortunately, I was one of the people hit with the faulty Amigas. I got both a faulty mouse and a faulty floppy drive. And uh, they were able to replace the mouse, but they didn't have any floppy drives, so unfortunately I took that and got my money back. Yep. And then the school that I worked at sold a pair of STs mm -hmm. and bought one of those for a while. Yep. But then regretted that insanely. And my friend, who upgraded from, who jumped on board in the Amiga 1000 days, the original oh, Amiga, yeah. gave me this unit that was sitting next to us here. Shiny. And got me back into the Amiga. So I've owned, I've actually owned that for quite some time. He gave that to me a very, very long time ago. Oh, it's not even very limited edition yellow, like it's, for, for its age, it's looking, looking pretty fine. And then of course, as soon as I had the money again, later on, I had to get myself back. Course, and um, I've had one of those uh, since then, so it's one of my original uh, hardware collection. So, okay. And the software titles have um, built up yeah. over the time, and there's quite a spread of different types, but um, yeah. mostly shooting ups. Which is, uh, yeah, I'll do definitely a lot of them. So, uh, what I might do then, so we'll jump across to what I have from the, the social, the wall side of things. So. I might start with Twitter because Twitter. Um, so yeah, so again we asked asked everyone again this month around you know what uh, you know what was your what was the favourite Dallas games that um, you remember or you enjoyed. Um, so going going through so top down so what um, what we had first was you know, so Stacy Ball the Doctor Curly Tech did actually say I don't know but my number one is definitely Hypo. I'm, yeah, I'm not actually sure what that is, Stacey. I'm, I'm going to be honest, and I'm, I'm sure you'll correct me when the episode comes out and tell me that oh, you're, a, you're a nub, that this is this is what it is. But, um, yeah, I, I don't remember that. Um, otherwise, so, moving on. So, Oz Retro Gamer, Mr. Boz, come to say, yep, Armalite, Creatures, and Hawkeye. Which was again another another one with the um, you know the standout artwork in the, the game in the games magazines that you know, really good little platformer. It was not just brown. <laughs> and um, and he also did mention as a special mention was of course Sanxian. Um So legendary Whizball said Delta Armalite and Hawkeye, like him, many others he suspects. Well, he's not wrong. Oh yeah. So, uh, Rob Caporetto, to Hellfire 64. Um, hope you're uh, safely heading over to safely traveling well to the US, mate. If you're listening to this, um, but uh, he said, say retrograde, creatures two, torture trouble, and hunter's moon. Although it was tough between that and snare, um, which snare being another one I don't actually recall ever playing. I know the cover art, but um. It uh, is. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, well, so moving on. So we got Ryan Mansfield. I don't actually have any, but just thought I'd reply anyway. Thanks, Ryan. <laughs> Cheers. Like That's it, mate. Okay. It's still getting. And lastly, wrap up Twitter, which was a bit of a quiet one this time round. But um, Lee Agnew, the Everblight 82, says Armalite, Creatures 2, and Snare, and special mention to Nobby. 
So Nobby the Aardvark, which I believe was their last game they released before, um, before they shut down. So, um, alright. So, going over to, over to Facebook. Um, so what we've got here, so Daz, again mate, hi. Um, he said, easy, creatures 1 and 2 and snare. Mark Vass. So many great games. So, but creatures, armor light, and retrograde. Oh, I'm sensing a definite theme with uh, sort of creatures and armor light as a. Oh yeah. Um, so Godfrey Sheridan. So creatures, armor light, and heat seeker. It's more into a platformer. It is. It is. So um. All right. But yeah. All right. Cool. I don't think I've ever actually played that. I know the cover, but again, don't don't actually play the game. And lastly. Kefu Lim says number one, Qdex, two was Heatseeker, and three was a tie for Hawkeye and Hunter's Moon. Now Qdex is another one that I, I know it from um, the Blow the Cartridge comic that um, Cameron did Cameron did a little while back making fun of the fact that it's a really weird game. But um, I yeah, I don't actually don't actually recall playing it. So um but yeah, and that's and that's it from both of them. So it's a bit of a light on one there, but look, that's okay. It's an easy, easy one to ease into. Although we're starting to run out of publishers of uh, the choices, a lot of the, the obvious ones have been done. So uh, have to think so. It's what 18 we've done now, not counting the, the C64 month. Um, but that's cool. Oh, and that and that's and that's that, which brings us to the end of the episode. I think we, yeah. So. Uh, that's it, we're done. Number one in the bag, well, number 19 in the bag. Um, so uh, what I thought to do is, uh, any, any shout outs or any special thanks for you, Tony? Um, well, um, there are lots of uh, great YouTubers out there um, in the community collecting different computers and everything like that um, from different areas of the world. Um, but obviously my favourites are homebrew developers. Mm -hmm. um, check out Collectivision Games. Um, for both my own homebrew titles and yep. the ones of several others. Subtle plug. Subtle uh. plug. Um, but they're also um, sort of staying in the uh, Coleco community. There's Opcode Games as well. Mm -hmm. uh, he's actually bringing out a hardware, hardware add-on uh, for the Coleco Super Game module. Yes. Um, and they're starting to close customers after a while. And that's available on Harry Age. And um, of course, for all home everything. Um, a lot of homebrew is now centered around Atari 8 as well, so it's not just about that. I had actually noticed that actually they started to branch out a bit into the, uh, the Clicos and some of the other Atari 8 bits and a lot of the other ones there, which is which is good. It's, uh, it's sort of nice to have a few of the centralized places like that, so... Ah, cool. Cool, so look, I just want to yeah, shout out to, you know, again, Alex, Daz, the RD, Oz Retro Gamer Crews, and also the Weird and Retro guys as well, but... Thanks, thanks for having me while we we're at PAX. I was uh, loved your all your hospitality, and a special thanks to Daz for the uh, the Spectra video that he, he so kindly gave me. The give me a little bit of a work in progress to get it back up and running, but uh, I think I know the right person to, to help me with that one. I think there will definitely be somebody around here who can help. Ah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, outside of that though, um, look as always, was uh, thanks for um. Everyone that comes said hi at PAX again. I really appreciate it. Love the chats. Um, Mark, Bell, I mean, Rob, 
Um, Ant still it was always good to catch up with you, mate. So it was, uh, again, thanks for all the chats there. And um, actually, one thing I will mention before we go is just a, a quick plug for hopefully this gets out before the 19th, but um, the Brisbane Commodore 64 night is coming up on this Saturday from 6pm at the Woody Point Memorial Hall. Um, there's, I believe, a $5 cover charge, but, um, but yeah, look, it's a, I know I think Ant and a few of the other guys get out to that, so if you're up, up in Brizzy and you do hear this before then, um, definitely, definitely sing out, I think. It's good to support your community events like that, so only grow bigger. Well, that's it. I think uh, we need to get onto one in uh, Tassie at some point. I think there are actually enough people around that they're all doing the wrong thing, so yeah. should be able to get That's it. There's um, more of that. So, uh, but like that, mate, that is it. That is a wrap. We are done. So, so. Thank you very, very much for having me, and I hope to, you know, continue contributing. Oh, mate, look, no, thank you. I appreciate coming along. It's, uh, again, it's good to sort of have more local guys that we can actually do this with. There's, not that I have anything against the interstate guys, mate, you, sorry, mainlanders, um, but, yeah, it's good to have local guys like here we can actually... Catch up and have a bit of a chat over this sort of stuff and actually play stuff locally. So, uh, no, mate, it's all good. And like that, that's a wrap. So, all the best, mate. All the best, everyone. Thanks for listening. And uh, yeah, we'll thanks, see you... everybody, for tuning in. That's it. And we'll see you next month.